0: Good evening, got to turn it on, step one. (laughs) It's good to be with you guys uh, tonight as we continue our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've made it to chapter three, right? Come on, we've made it to chapter three, yay. Uh, If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll realize that this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, to a very spiritually immature, worldly, and carnal group of people, right? That's who it's written to. See, the problem with the Corinthian believers was that they had let the very world that they are living in, the culture that they were swimming in, not only permeate their personal lives, but the local church as well it was so bad that they looked and their church looked like unbelievers. It looked like natural men, like merely humans. There was nothing different. There was nothing supernatural. There's nothing spiritual about this church. So Paul writes this letter, right? Their problem with their world and their culture is not all that much different than our world that we're living in here. Today, there were two big problems. The number one problem was, it was what so far has been called the wisdom from the world. It was intellectualism, right? It was that these people had their thought leaders of the time that they were following, and they liked to argue and talk about politics. They liked to talk about science, they liked to talk about philosophy and they all had their, their gurus. And they were in love with the wisdom of this world. Sound familiar, <laughs> right? Very familiar to me. The other problem was what I'll, just, what I'll just call sexual immorality. It was sensualism. It was a port city that was very sexually loose. There was hundreds, if not thousands of prostitutes in this town. They weren't just making a living. They were worshiped. It was elevated, morally bankrupt sexually. Those were their two big problems. And I think this letter could be epistle written to the 21st century church, amen? That's not all that much different than what we're struggling with today. And the apostle Paul, like he has been in the first two chapters, he's gonna, in chapter three, challenge us. Encourage us to stop, the Corinthian believers and us as well, stop living like unbelievers. Amen? Stop looking like everybody else. You're different. Start acting like you are God's holy chosen people. Come on, who have been regenerated, indwelled with God's Spirit have the capacity to live a spiritual life, if you will. Amen? And that's a great call. It's a good purpose that Paul wrote this letter. And I think if we look at this letter as we study it, as a letter to the 21st century church, we might get a little bit more out of it. Amen? So that's how I read this, because we're challenged with the same things. Amen? We need to start living in reality. We are God's holy people, should be separate in the world, but not of the world, right? Those who are led and uh, living a life through the power of another, God's spirit who indwells. That's the goal. Paul's going to shake them up a little bit here. He starts in the first nine verses here, comparing and contrasting, really, the carnality, right? The carnal Christian with kind of what a spiritual Christian should start thinking about. And he gets after it right away, chapter three, verse one, calling them out on their carnality. Check it out. Chapter three, verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants or babies in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it. For are you still of the flesh? For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So there you have it. I don't know if you caught it there, but before we start bashing on these people, make sure we realize, before we define carnality and what they were doing, these were Christians. These weren't natural people that hadn't been rebirthed yet. These are people who had the capacity to be spiritual. They had embraced the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ with their whole being, and have been spiritually rebirthed, but yet they were living like the world. We know that they are Christians by the first way Paul addressed them. Does anybody catch it? But I, brothers. So, brothers in Christ, they're Christians. He also calls them babies in Christ. Did you catch that? <laughs> Paul, I love it. You big babies, you big babies, but you are in Christ right? So let's not forget these are Christians that have embraced the gospel. They were in a church. They had the capacity to live spiritually, but they kind of had a syndrome that I would call arrested development, right? They, they hadn't matured. Paul had probably been gone. They'd probably been saved for about three years or so, but yet they still haven't progressed. I don't know if you caught it, but in the first four verses here, it's mentioned three times. He calls them not spiritual people, but people of the flesh. You are still of the flesh, and you are still of the flesh. <laughs> what does that mean? Flesh is another word, you know, what we use in Christianese now is carnal or carnality. It's just the Latin term of flesh. It's that we're living still off of our flesh. We've been rebirthed. We're still living like we never had been rebirthed. They couldn't live beyond what they could see, touch, feel. They were acting like unsaved people. The proof of that is right here. He says in verse three, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? Jealousy and strife. And finally, the last thing, when he says, when you want to follow Apollos and you want to follow Paul, it speaks of division, right? They were split. They were clicky and i don't know if you've know this if you've ever studied it but galatians chapter 5 tells us what the works of the flesh are also the fruit of the spirit paul contrasts that to the galatians believers do you, do you remember some of the works of the flesh there's some bad things in there but you know where three of them are jealousy <laughs> strife and divisions or cliques so these guys were hitting the trifecta they just hit a triple right? Paul's saying, listen, you guys are showing out, emanating things of your flesh. Strife, jealousy, divisions. It ought not to be that way. You guys are carnal people. Snap out of it, right? So much that they were living like that, he called them a baby. You guys are babies. And that they couldn't eat solid food, but he had to keep feeding them what? milk. And I don't know if you've ever read Hebrews chapter 5 through 7. There's another group of believers there that are called babies, and it talks about milk and meat. And it's a good couple of chapters to compare here. And what is what is milk then? Paul's like, what is milk? I just got to, I'd, like to fee, I'd like to feed you something a little more hearty, but I, I still, you're still drinking milk right? You're still breastfeeding, and you've been three, right? Come on, let's go. I have a memory of breastfeeding, so I'm pretty guilty of this, but <laughs> that's pretty bad. Huh? <laughs> I breastfed too long, but I'm healthy, though. Look at me. <laughs> Milk. What is he speaking of here? If you look at Hebrews chapter 5, don't judge me. <laughs> Hebrews chapter five and six, it tells you what it is. It's really, I think, the elementary doctrines of Christ. It's the ABCs of our faith. That's what milk is. And it's great. Milk is great. So I drank it so long. It's good. There's nothing wrong with it. But we want to move on from it, right? So an example of milk might be something like Jesus died for my sins. Amen. This never gets old. That's awesome. That's sweet milk. I love that. Jesus died for our sins, right? But how do you grow from that? You see, meat would be uh, more like preaching that unfolds just the full riches and magnificence of that gospel so that people can grow And put weight on and move spiritually. So if milk is Jesus died for my sins, meat would be more like this. It'd be more like we died with Christ to our sins. Did you know that? That'll help you grow. That'll get you free from sin. We died with Christ to our sins. Amen? That means we don't have to sin unless we want to. We could be free from those things that beset us, amen? That's different. That's different than Jesus died for my sins. That'll get me to heaven. That'll get out of hell card right here. But when I realized that I died with Jesus Christ to my sins and it no longer has power over me unless I give it power over me, That's what can move me into some spiritual growth. It's meat that can save me from those sins that keep dragging me down and make me miserable to live with, right? And keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Do you see the difference? There's a big difference. Milk. Let's learn about spiritual gifts. This is one thing these Christians were really good at. They had all the best ones, and they were in really enamored by spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong with learning about spiritual gifts. We all have one, and they're awesome. It's how the body functions. But if you just focus on that and you miss the point of them, which is a more excellent way. Remember what he's going to say in chapter 12? Let me show you a more excellent way, and that's love and emanating the fruit of the Spirit out of your life. That's more better. <laughs> right? See, that's the meat. Paul's saying, listen, guys, you're a bunch of babies. You look just like the world. You have the capacity. You've been regenerated. You have God's spirit in you, but you're quenching him and you're just grieving him to you. You just look like everybody else. Grow up, you babies. And go beyond because when you do, I can teach you something that will help you grow. Amen. And that's what he drives at in the next few verses. In verse five through about nine, he starts helping us see that the spiritual life is a life that's lived through a power of another. It's God's spirit who indwells, who wants to give us new perspectives, a perspective not of division, of jealousy, of competition, right, of I belong to him or her. It's one that says we belong to God. And God is to be honored and extolled because he is the God behind great people, amen? It's that. It's a life marked by cooperation. It's a life known that when when you were indwelled by the Spirit, at the same time you were, other people were baptized into Christ by that same Spirit. And so we're all one, And we all have our use, and we don't need to compete. We need to cooperate so that God's building moves on. Amen? That's what we'll see. Check it out here. When, this is Paul trying to wrangle them up. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Well, they're servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned each. I planted, basically saying I was the evangelist, Apollo watered, he taught you, but God gave the growth. So neither he nor plants or he who waters is anything. Amen? Those people aren't anything. (laughs) But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he he who waters is one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's fields, and you are God's building. Listen, competition is great. You probably won't know many people more competitive than me. I love to get after it. I loved it when I played sports. I loved it when I worked. I think we need more, please, competitive people in this world when you go to work. Our kids need to be more competitive when they study. I believe we should do all things heartily unto the Lord like it matters, amen? Oh, man, I think each generation in America, we've lost just a little bit of that. We used to be so gritty and so competitive. People would go out and work like it mattered. We weren't just trading time for money. They were making the boss money. It mattered to them, amen? We, I, I, I love competition, One of my favorite stories about competition is from my dad. A few years ago, I had the honor to coach my two sons in wrestling in high school, and it was so awesome. They both made the state wrestling finals, and I was their coach, it was really special. And they were the first two weight classes. So I got to go out there with one boy, coach him, next one went out, coached him. It was so awesome, but it was a big night. And of course, it was up in Portland, we had center mat, it was awesome. All the competition was coming to this one last competition. And so my dad, the old man, Pops, who's with us in the hotel, I want to give the boys a pep talk. I'm like, all right, whatever, dad. You never played any sports, but go right ahead, right? (laughs) Well, my dad's an old mason, so he told him a masonry story. And it, to this day, still blows me away and motivates me. He said something like this. He said, when I was a young mason... In LA building commercial walls. And I don't know if you ever do know anything about masonry, but I see a mason out there, so he knows this. When you're doing a big wall, a long wall, what normally happens on a commercial job is you have two masons. You have one mason builds a lead, the other one builds a lead, and they take their time. They make sure everything's level so all the courses when they run them in are level and that they meet in the right spot, okay? So on a commercial job all day long, that's what they'll do. They'll build leads however many courses they want to on that lift. And then one of them will spot a center block between the two courses. And then the two masons start on each side and they meet in the middle, right? Well, my dad said, one day he went to work and he was the littlest guy on the job, imagine that. And he said, everybody was giving him grief and he said, I was gonna let nobody beat me to the middle in this job. And he said, he just was beating the guy every, every, always beating him to the middle. I'm in the middle. Where are you? Middle, middle, middle. He told that story in a very motivating way. And he told my boys, he said, hey, let's beat him to the middle tonight. Okay. (laughs) And I thought, man, that's pretty inspiring. I don't work like that. Do you guys work like that? Let's beat them to the middle. I love that story, and sometimes when I think about mailing it in, packing it in, maybe just giving about 50%, because I'm tired, sometimes I think about that. Let's meet in the middle. Now I'll beat you to the middle. I'm gonna go hard, I'm gonna give everything, everything, and everything. So I love that story, and I am a competitive person, that motivates me, but I'll tell you what, there's not to be competition in the church. This was their problem. It should be marked, church should be marked, not by competition, but by cooperation. That's what he's saying here. By cooperation. We should all realize that the same spirit that saved me, right? And that's motivating me and gave me my spiritual gift is the same with you. And we should be building on top of, of each other. Amen? He says planting and watering is nothing. Who are these guys? They're the same person. You can plant and you can water all you want, but God's magic growth factor is really what it's about. So don't say you're from Apollos and from Paul because they're really nothing. Who is something? Is God. Amen? And so we should cooperate. It's God who gives the growth. See, one of the Spirit's purposes in the Christian life is to change the way we think. So we no longer are operating out of competitiveness when we come from our jobs, in our sporting events, in our families, <laughs> where we say, I belong to him. Or I belong to him, I belong to her, I belong to this way of thinking, I belong to this denomination, I belong to this pastor, I read this person. But it's the spirit that says, I belong to God, and we all belong to God. Amen. So listen, there's a big difference he's pointing out here between a carnal and a person that's starting to think about spiritual things. Amen. And just for the sake of completion, I I entitled the first 9 verses carnal versus spiritual Christians. And I want to let us all be encouraged today that it's our choice, Christian. If you've embraced the gospel, you can live as a carnal person. And you can look just like anybody else and no one will ever bug you around here probably. Or you can live a spiritual life emanating things of God's spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Amen? Or we can go back to our flesh and start reaping the works of the flesh, jealousy, strife, division, sexual immorality, the list goes on and on, and it's not good. Where do you want to be? And in case you don't know how this works, it's not that complicated, but it's worth at least maybe just reminding us a little bit about the way that we are built. You know, every human was built in the image of God. Did you know that? We're triune beings, we're body, right? Some are little, some are big, some are strong, some are weak, all the flavors that God made, this is your body, it's material. But we're made by, out of two immaterial parts, our souls, which I believe is kind of the center of our emotions. It's what, what interprets our five senses to our mind. If it's hot, it's cold, it feels good, it feels bad. It's the soulish man. But what makes men special and women special is that we were breathed into our bodies the spirit of life. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, when, he was, when the Lord was done making the animals, he, he, he made the, the human, Adam, he made him out of the dust. And remember what he did? He blew the spirit of life into him. It's where God just put the cherry on the top of creation. That's humanity because we were in his image at that point. We had a spirit. And I believe that our spirit is the rational part of our mind where our self-consciousness comes from, right? The chapter before this, we we saw it in chapter two, verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, small s. That's who, who knows you? Inside, your spirit does. It's the self-awareness, it's the self-consciousness, it's the rational part of our mind that we can act. Are we being jerks? Where do we come from when we where, where do we come from? Where do we go when we die? That's your spirit, you see. Do you know that's where the new birth takes place? If you want to be a spiritual Christian, you better you better understand that it's that part that was rebirthed when you believed in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Remember Nicodemus, John chapter 3? Nicodemus asked Jesus, how am I saved? How do I be saved? I want to be, and Jesus said, you must be born again. And do you remember what Nicodemus said? How do I go back in my mom's womb? He said, Nicodemus, listen, what's flesh is flesh, but what's spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Don't marvel at this. Your spirit must be rebirthed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, When you believed in the Lord, you became one spirit with the Lord. That's where the new birth takes place. That's where you get regenerated and you get this capacity, right? At the same time, God's spirit indwells you at that moment. And guess what? Your spirit is regenerated and it has the capacity to let him live through you. Amen. You can start emanating things of the spirit because now he's inside of you and you can love the unlovable. You can have joy when you're downtrodden, right? That's a spiritual, supernatural thing that you can do. And Paul's saying, get there. Stop grieving him. Stop quenching him. Stop turning off the spirit that's inside of you and quit living like everybody else. You're chosen. You're holy. You have the spirit inside of you. Start living a supernatural life. And I don't know if you've looked at it that way. Christians, we are supernatural, not because of us, but because who indwells us? God's Spirit's inside of you, God Almighty, giving you purpose, giving you power, giving you the right motives, letting you love when you don't think you can, giving you joy when your life is a train wreck. Amen? Giving you self control when you just want to do it. That's God's Spirit, and that's what Paul's urging amen, carnal versus spiritual Christians, he goes on and he plays off this last word here, he says, I don't know if you caught the last word, verse nine, you are God's building and he sticks with this for a while, a couple of symbols that God uses for the church, one is his body, right, and one is you're God's building or you're his temple, so he sticks with this and if you take a look at this, it's really cool because I named these next five verses, and I think it's pretty catchy. You you let me know what you think, but it's God's building builders. God's building builders, because we all know that the church is the people. So we're God's building, but it also, as we'll see, we're building the building. (laughs) So we're the building, but we're building on it with our good works that he set before us, Let's check it out. Let me read it for you. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of works each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through Fire! Wow. So, do you remember when we were nomads, when we lived at Fruitdale? Remember when we met at Fruitdale? We were nomadic, right? All the set down. It it was pretty awesome. It was a good time. But I remember the first time I sat in here. Do you? I was like, man, God is good. I remember looking. I was like, we finally have a church, right? I remember, and then I caught myself. Mm, This isn't a church. This is a building. (laughs) The people are the church, right? We are, we, the people, the ecclesia, the called out ones, we're the church. It's people. It's, the church is living. It's a living organism, you see? It's very remarkable and a very cool symbol, don't you think, when you think about it? that he would say the church is a building, that the foundation was laid with the apostles on top of Jesus Christ in the first century, and it's growing, right? It's a a very cool symbol. It's a building. Jesus Christ on the foundation, the apostle laid the doctrine of Jesus Christ, and then as people have been saved over centuries and centuries, we're placing what the apostle Peter would call living stones in that building. That's us. That's you and I. We're living stones and we're building. We're, we're in and making up this building of God. Come on, that's cool. And I don't know if we're building a wall right now. I don't know if we're building a roof. I hope so because I hope we're out of here soon. I don't know about you. Amen? I'm, I think it's awesome. I, I hope we're, we're building the end of the church. I don't know where we're at. I don't. But I know that it's a very cool symbol that living stones, as we're saved, God puts us in this building and then it becomes this mighty temple of God. And as we are living stones, the reason he calls us living stones and it's a building that's growing and being built is that we have good works set before us in service of the church, amen? We all do. And I don't know if you caught it here, but it says in verse, man, I need glasses, verse 10, let each one of us take care of how he builds it. Translation, Paul says this, be careful, be careful. You're you're a living stone, you're in the church, you're here, you're safe here, but be careful the way you work and build the church. I don't know if you caught it, but if you keep going, he says, someday, capital D, Jesus is going to display your motives for your work as you're building the church. Did you catch it? Each one's work will become manifest. You know, here's what we can see when people serve the church. We see the work. You know what we don't see? The motive. You have no idea. I'm going to assume good motives in people, but you don't know. The only person that can judge motives is who? God. And your wife, probably. But mostly God. (laughs) Right? God's the judger of the motives. And this is a really cool section. If you caught it, it's speaking of a special day of judgment for believers. Now listen to me, it's it's really cool. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's when our works, not ourselves, will be judged. It's a really cool time, it's a great study. We don't have time for all of it, but I'll run you just basically through it based on these scripture. Here's what's gonna happen. Sometime in the future, somewhere between After Jesus Christ comes back for his church and raptures it, but before he presents it as a spotless bride to himself and then to his father, there's going to be a judgment of the way that we built our building, the way we served in church, our good works that God placed in front of us. He's going to judge the motives of all of those. Could anybody wonder why? Here's why is that we are to be a spotless bride. And when we're raptured, everything we did to push this thing forward, the motives need to be judged and purged. And I don't know if you caught it, but it says there'll be two types of works that will come up. It'll be gold, silver, and precious stones on one side, and what? Wood, hay, and stubble on the other. It's not like God's gonna show a video picture of everything bad that you did. That's not what he's talking about, okay? He's just bringing up your service, your works, what you did, what you did with your life after you were saved for the kingdom. That's what's gonna come up. And it's not gonna become a movie theater. All those works are gonna just come up of two different classifications, And then they're gonna be burned and we're gonna see what endures, right? A couple of verses on this. You might like these, I do. First thing to remember when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, that people know it as, is that our standing before Jesus Christ and the Father is not in jeopardy. We are not gonna be judged on whether we're going to heaven or not. That's been done for the Christian. Couple of verses for there. John chapter five, let's do 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body or in the building, whether good or evil. 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse five. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord has come, who will bring to light things that are hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive a commendation from God. That's the Bema seat. You need to realize that it has nothing to do with our salvation. Um, Jesus Christ sacrificed once and for all, took care of that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's enough. John chapter five, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not ever, 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 never come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So it's not a judgment on us. It's a judgment on our works. And it's important, and that's why Paul brings it up. Listen, what you do to serve the church in authentic service to our king, and our Lord matters. It matters for all eternity. Did you know that? Someday you're going to give answer to the what you did. And what Jesus is mostly interested in is the motive. That's what's going to come up. And if it burns, bad. Bad motives. Bad motives. You did it out of selfish ambition. And it's evil, it says. It's lacking character. It's, it, he doesn't need that kind of work. If it endures, like the gold, silver, and precious stones, you will get a reward for it. And it's a great study. There's victor's wreaths you can win, and it's, it's for a different day. But the point is this we're God's building builders. And when we build, we should be very careful on how we build because it matters. Amen? It really matters. Motives matter. Just say like, I'm what if everything burns up? I love that because I don't know if you caught that verse, but it said at the end of 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it said, the motives of your heart are gonna come out on that altar. And if everything goes away and you have nothing that's shining, are you to be sad? Do you know that it said right there that God He says, each one will receive his commendation from God. Oh, come on. I did so bad. All my motives burned up. Oh, even then, God is gracious. I love that. I want a commendation from God. Even when I fail, he's going to show his grace to me and give me a special word that even in my horrible motives, he's going to say something to me. He's going to commendate me. I like that, amen? So we're builders, we're, we're building builders, but remember, it's serious business. The final thoughts here are just a couple of things in the last few verses. The first one, verse uh, 16, um, don't mess with God's building or he's gonna mess with you. This, God's, this is God's building, serious business. Let me put it this way, it's serious business. It is serious Don't mess with God's building. Check it out. Do you not know, verse 16, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Amen? Just a warning. One of the cool things about the church is it's people. One of the horrible things about the church is it's the people. Right? Right? We can hurt each other, right? We can miss the boat. We can harm people. They can get bitter, and they can try to undercut the local church. Don't do that. Just leave. Go somewhere else. Make them mad. Do something. But I'm telling you, if you actively work to hurt the local church, God is gonna hurt you. And you can take that forever at once. It's not an idle threat. He's done it throughout history. There's great examples in the Bible. But listen, take heed to this. Don't touch God's local church. Don't undercut it. Don't compromise it. Just keep your mouth shut and move on. Amen? Find somewhere where you can minister to God and God can minister to you and you can grow. If it's not here, if it's not there, fine. But be careful. It's a living building, He will literally ruin you. It's a warning. The second thought, verses 18 through 20, is this. Stop lying to yourself. (laughs) The wisdom of this world is foolishness. Seriously, stop it. Stop following people. Stop being people lovers. Start looking at the God behind the people. Amen? It's foolishness. The smartest people in the world, morons compared to God, okay? (laughs) Check it out. Verse 18 Let no one deceive himself. Stop lying to yourself. (laughs) If anyone among you thinks you are wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. Listen, God's wisdom is far beyond what men can comprehend. And we need to be reminded of that when we study people and when we follow people and we start to idolize people, we start to uh, divide with people, we start to elevate people over God. It's a very limited perspective that men have and that's what he's saying. Our God's wisdom is deep because as you know, he's omniscient, right? Do you guys remember that? <laughs> and, and that's not a small thing. I like the way Isaiah forty six ten puts it. God just says this, I am God, and there is no one like me. That's always a good place to start. That puts you in your place, I'm God, and there's no one like me. I know the end from the beginning. I know ancient things that are yet not done. Think about that for just a second. What a way to know something. In one act or sweep of mind, God knows the sequence of all events both simultaneously and instantaneously. He just knows it all. He just knows. Come on, that's amazing. Men, yeah, I don't know so much. There's some smart people out there, no doubt. But that should put us in our place. And then when we read God's book that's full of wisdom and we read things like it, we ought not to be afraid to be his fool. Because it says God's wisdom is foolish, to the world. And the world's wisdom is foolish to God. They don't match sometimes. Amen? So let's stop getting so cute, okay? Let's let's be a little bit bold. And if people want to call us fools, they can call us fools. I've been called a quack in my office before for telling someone I believe that God created the eyeball. I mean, I don't care. I'll be an idiot. You don't have to come to me. That's okay, right? Be a fool. Be a I read scriptures like, be a generous giver. God loves a generous giver, not a 10%. You know what God really loves? He loves grace giving. He gives people that say, 10? You kidding me? How about 90? How about, he's been so good to me. I'm just, I just want to bless people. Just let me be generous in my spirit with my time and my money. And the accountant says, well, I don't know if I'd do that. That seems foolish. You spent all your money. Be a fool. The young couple that doesn't want to live together and will pay twice as much rent because they don't want to sleep together. They want to remain pure before their wedding. You guys are stupid. Why would you do that? You're spending twice as much. You know, things are hard. You know inflation, you ever heard of the war in Ukraine? Things are tough now. That was a joke, a little bit, but right? Be a fool. Yes, we got two places. Be a fool for God, amen? And the last one here is the last two verses. It says this, that the Christian should not be bragging on people or ourselves, we should be bragging on our God. Because God is awesome. (laughs) Listen to it, here it is. So let no one boast or brag in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's, amen? Not boasting in people, but the God who works through and in people. That's who we should be bragging about. I wonder what people think when they get so buttered up by people. I wonder what Pastor Matt thinks sometimes. Oh, he just, I think he's an uncomfortable champion right? I don't think he likes that. I think what he wants to hear is God is good, right? God used you today. Those are good things. God bless you for bringing God's word, right? Always focus. He's always. You want to always divert things. God is the one who gives the growth. God is the awesomeness inside of all people. Without it, we got nothing. I don't know if you caught it, but All things are ours through Christ. That's why he's awesome. We have everything. And I don't know if you know, but he said, even death is ours. Does that touch anybody else? Life and death, everything. Death with its threat to separate us and hurt us. It has no sting anymore. It's already been mastered. We already possess it. Why? Because Jesus Christ holds the keys to life and death. And he is ours, and we are his, and he's God's. And guess what? Death can usher in glory for the believer. We will be glorified in our bodies. We'll be reunited with our loved ones. Oh, death, where is our sting? We have everything. That's why we should brag about God, not about people. The present, the future, all things are yours because you are Christ's, and Christ is God's, and therefore everything he owns is yours. All things belong to you because you belong to the one whom all things belong. Amen? Amen. So, Father, thank you for 1 Corinthians. Thank you for your word. I pray that today we would be those who live in harmony with your spirit. That we'd be spiritual Christians, those who emanate things of the spirit that we would stop grieving and quenching the great power that's inside of us. That when people look at us, they just don't see the world. That we'd realize we're special, chosen, holy people indwelled by God Almighty. Be with us, be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.